Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. When we come up above in the heavenly court after 120 years, there's no answer, no excuse, but I couldn't control myself. It wasn't my fault. The world was so corrupt, the world was so decadent, the world was so... It was all around me, I couldn't help myself. There's no end, there's no excuse. You're responsible for yourself. And you, do, you have the strength to overcome it. God doesn't give us a test we can't handle. If he demands and expects of us, that means he's giving us the strength to do it. But you have to be strong. It takes tremendous strength. And that's the point that he's leading up to. Why do you feel so haughty and arrogant? Why are you judging the other person? Why are you so dismissive of the other person? You feel so superior and the other person is a bum, a low life, a good for nothing, and you're a paragon of virtue. Why? Where does this arrogance come from? Because look at the other person's weakness. The other person is a worthless, a worthless, a weak person. They fall through and there's no strength and there's no Torah and there's no mitzvah. Look at his behavior. It's disgusting. It's repulsive. It's ugly. The person's a criminal. Well, let's think about it a moment. It's hard for us to even imagine because we're not in that position. We, we, we condemn, let's say worst case scenario, we condemn a murderer, a rapist, a horrible, disgusting human being. Now, let's wait a minute. We can't even relate to it because we have no temptation. You ever tempted to murder anyone? Were you ever in your life tempted to murder? We can't even relate to it. You ever attempted to rape anyone? We, we can't even relate to it. And we're angry at this bum, at this lowlife, this illiterate, uneducated, bum lowlife who grew up probably without a father, without a mother, who grew up with, like in the streets, in the jungle, in the wild. And we're angry at him. How dare you murdered someone? How dare you raped someone? Could you even relate to the type of struggle that that person had? Do you know what kind of discipline, you know what kind of strength it would have taken this person who has this urge to murder, which we can't even relate to, and to hold himself back? You know what kind of strength of character, of soul, it would take for this person to restrain himself? And we're angry at this person why he didn't restrain himself. Why he gave in to his urge in his instinct and committed this horrible crime. It was a great Hasidic Rebbe, Rabbi, uh, the lull of a Rebbe. He was once traveling in the forest. And he came back. He was all shaken up. He said, he overheard, he saw um, two farmers in the forest, a, a father and a son. And the son was standing over his father with an axe. And he says, you know, I want to kill you now. That's how upset he was with his father. He says, the only reason I can't kill you is because I'm afraid of God. So I'm not going to kill you. He says, do I have the same fear of God like this person had? <laughs> he was ready to kill his father. That's how angry he was. And that's the type of person he was. He had this urge to kill his own father. <clears throat> but because he feared God, he controlled himself. He said, I'm not going to do it. He says, do I have the same fear of God as that person had? Do I have the same struggle that person had? Am I ready? Am I ready to overcome such a struggle for the sake of God? Maybe my Torah, my mitzvot, is because it's easy for me. I don't have to struggle. 
It comes easy for me. It's my nature. I'm cold by nature, so this overstimulation doesn't affect me. Or I'm not in that environment, so I'm not affected by it. Or for external reasons. But I don't really have to struggle. For me, my service of God comes easy, comes natural. Do I expect of myself the same thing I'm expecting from that low life, from that worthless of worthless, from that murderer, that rapist? Am I expecting the same thing of myself from that person? I'm upset at him. Why? He didn't overcome his, his murderous rage. Well, do you ever overcome anything in your life? Do you, did you ever have to struggle with, with something like that? Are you serving God in the same level? Would you be able to overcome your, your nature just for the sake of God? So what are you judging? What are you standing in judgment with the other person? You're better than the other person? Who says you're better? Yes, externally you're better. You're a nice citizen. You're an upright citizen. You pay your taxes. You do everything that's right. You don't break the law. Externally, by the books, you're a beautiful citizen. The other person is a low life, is worthless, is a bum, is a criminal. But in a real sense, let's go a little deeper. In a real sense, who is really a better person? Are you really a better person than that person? Not so sure. <laughs> that person, you're angry at that person. You're upset at that person. You're condemning that person. You're judging that person. Viciously condemning. Why? Because he didn't overcome his murderous rage. He should have done the right thing. Even though he had his murderous rage. What a low life. What a bum. How dear he went ahead and did that. Okay. Do you have to overcome such, such, such powerful urges? Powerful, raging uh, urges and instincts? Is there anything in your life that you have to overcome? That you have to struggle with? Such a powerful struggle? Are you ready to do that for the sake of God? Are you ready to overcome your own nature? Are you ready to change, to make that lion change and that heroic, heroic change? Are you ready to do that? No, you're not ready to. You're living very complacent, very comfortable. You only do what's easy and comfortable and simple and light and superficial. But you expect from that person, that bum, that low life, you're expecting the world. And you're angry at him that he hasn't changed. Are you ready to change? Have you changed in your life? Did you make such a change in your life? It's very easy to be a hero when you're, when you're cloistered, you're sheltered, you're not exposed to any negativity, you don't have any strong temptations, you're not a passionate person. And you're doing the right thing. Well, what are you so proud of? <laughs> what, what makes you, that makes you a better citizen than the other person? That makes you a better person than the other person? No. Let's, let's see some real heroism. Let's see some, some real change. Are you ready to make such a dr drastic change that you're expecting from this bum in life? You're angry at him. Why isn't he changing? You want the transformation, 180 degree transformation, a huge transformation. A core transformation. And you're angry at him why he didn't control his, himself and he went ahead and he's living the type of lifestyle that he's living. Okay, are you, ready to, are you ready to make that type of sacrifice? Are you ready to make that type of change? Are you ready to overcome your nature? To struggle? We're talking about an intense struggle here. We're not talking about a minor, a minor change. We're talking about a dramatic change. Anyone who's on fire, who's Yetzirah, who has an urge, and you expect him to control himself, are you, are you ready to make that type of intent, that intense type of change, that quality type of change in your life? No. 
So why are you judging the other person? You're better than the other person? You're better than the criminal? Not so sure. So relax. Before you start getting so arrogant and haughty and, and sitting on the you know, top of the horse and judging everyone and dismissing everyone. So this arrogance, there's no need for this arrogance. Of course, society should condemn behavior. We have to judge behavior, we have to condemn behavior, we have laws and we have courts and we have punishment. But this conceit and this arrogance, before we start feeling so conceited and, and arrogant and haughty, and, there's no need for that. Don't, don't. You can empathize with it. You can put yourself in that person's shoes. You want the criminal to be better. You want him to change. Show him. Lead by example. Let's see you make, th- make a change. Let's see you change your life. A dramatic change. A drastic change. Then you'll inspire the criminal f- that he should change his life. So there's no room for this error. Every person, you should feel humble. Not only humble. Should feel that that person is superior. Am I sure that that person is, is inferior to me? I'm not so sure. And that's a humbling thought. <laughs> Think of that. <laughs> that. Maybe that criminal, a low life and bum, is perhaps uh, superior to me. That's uh, that's uh, that's a very humbling. Thought. I better get my act together. What, what, what am I? I'm so complacent and proud of myself. I'm I'm dull-hearted. I'm falling asleep as if as if uh, there's nothing to live for. Nothing to live for. You haven't even started. You haven't even scratched the surface. Look what a position you are, that the bum and the lowlife, the rapist and the murderer, perhaps a better person than you are. That's a sobering thought. That's, that's, a, that's enough to wake you up. Smell the coffee, I better wake up, I better start living. Well, what am I sleeping? I haven't even started my service of Hashem. And this change doesn't have to be in the negative. Maybe I'm not doing anything wrong. We're talking about the Bainini. The Bainini is living a perfect life. He's not doing anything wrong. He's not committing any crime. He's not doing anything wrong. And he's doing everything that's right. But the question is, are you really exerting yourself? Are you really changing your nature for the better? Are you making a quantum leap forward? Are you changing, drastically changing your nature? Because even a good habit, even a good nature, if you're just doing it because it's natural and it's habitual, that's very external, superficial. Are you really ready to make that real change only for the sake of Hashem? It says, don't judge another person until you go into his place. So it could mean don't judge another person until you get into his shoes. But it means his place means literally. His place physically and also figuratively. Where that person is at. First physically, his geographic location, because he has to work six days a week and the place where his work leads him to, where he hangs out. He's not exactly hanging out in the synagogue, in the, in the pristine, sublime, holy environment. He's not immersed in holiness. He's out there in the streets, hustling to make a living. Firstly, the place itself. When you're surrounded, today we can appreciate it more than ever, when you're immersed, bombarded with constant messages, visual messages, Temptations pulling you towards materialism, consumerism, and pulling you, pulling you, in, in pulling you down, pulling you into very cro- gross, crass, a materialism. 
and temptation. And it's visibly, and it's open, and it's blatant, and it's in your face. A person can't help but be impressed. Because we are creatures, we're social creatures. It's even considered the norm. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so overwhelming that it becomes the norm. It's overwhelming, right. So when it's overwhelming and it's all around you and you're constantly bombarded, that's the nature. When the eye sees, the eye makes a huge impression. When the eye sees, the heart is tempted. So when you look at something and you're constantly looking at it, so even, even if ordinarily perhaps you wouldn't be tempted, you wouldn't be seduced, you wouldn't be tempted, but if you're constantly visually looking at it and you're constantly bombarded with it, it's going to have an effect on you. So the place that he's forced to spend most of his time, most of his conscious time, and that place is not a holy environment. It's a place where you're constantly seeing things that you shouldn't be seeing, or things that are dragging you down, or tempting you, seducing you, or leading you astray. It has a tremendous impact. So think about it. Why is that person sinning? Why are you judging that person so harshly? You know that person is sinning? Because look at the place that he's at. Look at the place that he has to immerse himself. So much of his conscious waking time is immersed, constantly immersed in, in this environment. Where he's constantly being bombarded with these visual signals that are constantly crying out like a siren that's pulling him in. and He can't help but be affected. It's the power of seeing, the power of the eye. What you see affects you. Maybe if he wasn't in that environment, he wouldn't have had such effect. The, the, the Torah scholar, the Jew who's immersed in learning, is immersed in the synagogue, never steps foot out of the synagogue, is shielded, is protected. Although today, uh, even if you don't step foot out of the door, the world comes to you. The internet, there's no, there's no hiding today, there's no running away, there's no hiding. If you don't come to it, it comes to you. But the, the person who's shielded doesn't have such an impact. But a person who is forced to go out there to make a living, you're not blind, deaf, and dumb. You see, it's, it's around, you can't miss it. It's, it's staring you in the face. So it has an impact. And it affects you. The eye sees and the heart desires. It's just, just a natural way of things. So that's why he's so affected. So why are you judging him? You're judging him that he's so lightheaded and he's such a low life and a bum and the worthless of the worthless, well, put yourself in his shoes, put yourself in his position. If you're constantly immersed and surrounded by this stimulation, materialistic and cosmos materialization, who knows, what, who knows what you would be? What kind of impact it would have on you? That's looking at it from the geographic location. Also, you have to take into account where he's at psychologically, spiritually. Maybe he's a person who by nature is just a very hot-blooded person. If you have a cold-blooded person put him in that environment, he doesn't respond because he's ice. Ice, ice preserves, you know. When you keep something frozen, it could stay there for years. <laughs> the butcher has stuff lying there from the 1970s, <laughs> frozen, <laughs> preserved. They, they found fossils from thousands of years ago in the ice. It's preserved. It's like fresh, like yesterday. Ice doesn't change. So a person who's by nature ice cold, he's not affected by his environment. He just couldn't care less. But a person who's hot-blooded, a person who's, who's on fire, and, he, and you put him in such an environment, 
<laughs> with constant stimulation. He can't help but, but just he's bursting all over the place. He can't help himself. Now the Alter is going to explain this is not an excuse. Here he's not justifying in any way, he's not rationalizing the behavior of the worthless of worthless. He's still called the worthless of worthless because he's a wicked person because of the choices that he makes. Because this is not an excuse. Even a person who in order to make a living is forced to spend six days a week and most of his waking hours in this environment and he can't help but be bombarded by this stimulation. For business he has to travel and he has to go all over and he has to spend time in Las Vegas and he has to run here and he run there. And wherever it is, he's constantly being exposed to this stimulation. Bombarded. And his nature is, he's fiery by nature. He's not a cold person by nature. He's a fiery person by nature. And he just can't help but be overstimulated and respond. And has a tremendous effect on him. That's not an excuse for him not doing the right thing. Because the bottom line is that God doesn't give us a test that we can't handle. It's a test. It's a tremendous test. But God doesn't give us a test that we can handle. He expects us to do the right thing. Despite the fact that we live in a world where we're overstimulated, and despite the fact that you almost can't help but bump into it, and despite the fact that you may have a fiery evil inclination, and like a, uh, the ovens, uh, the baker's ovens, it's on fire, it's heat, it's so hot, you can't help. It's not an excuse. You still have the ability to control yourself. God expects you to control yourself. And if you don't, and he labels you the worthless of worthless. And you're a rush. So for yourself, it's not an excuse. But that's for yourself. But for another person, the Mishnah says, don't judge him so harshly. Don't dismiss him so quickly. Put yourself in his shoes first. What would you do if you were him? We're not so sure how you would look. Maybe you'd look like him or worse. <laughs> so... So relax. Before you jump to conclusions, you dismiss the person and you treat him lightly and you look down at him and you denigrate him in your mind, in your heart. We're not, we're not talking about necessarily externally. Because externally, a Torah scholar has to carry himself with dignity. You can't pretend that the... Uh, you can't behave publicly that the low life of the low life is superior to you. And then no one will honor the, honor the Torah. You have to have certain dignity. If it carries over dignity, but it means internally. Don't feel arrogant towards the other person. Don't judge the other person. Don't, don't, don't dismiss the other person. You have to treat the other person with, with tremendous respect internally. Look carefully at the wording. Every word of the rabbis is precise. It says, In ethics of our fathers, You should actually feel that the other person, you should be low of spirit. That the other person is superior to you. Not only because if he were in my shoes, I were in his shoes. No, no, no. That means I am superior, but if he were in my shoes, he would have been even better. If I were in his shoes, it would have been worse. He is actually superior to you. You're actually lower than him. Which begs the question what do you mean? How can you say you should consider yourself lower than every person? What do you mean? How could you compare? You're an upright citizen, you're an upstanding citizen. You study Torah. You come to the class. You learn. You daven. You pray. You do mitzvahs. You give tzedakah. The bum, the low life, is not even here. Not even present. What, what do you mean? I'm, he's better than I am. I should feel lower than him. So this begs the question. The question is so strong. And many commentaries say the Mishnah can't mean literally 
that you should actually feel that the other person is better than you. What do you mean? If he's a bum in a low life and I'm a bainami and I'm doing everything that's right, how can I pretend that that person... Is? But it means you should act in a way as if the other person is superior to you. In other words, don't, don't, don't trump your own, your own horn. Don't blow your own horn. Pretend. Act. As if the other person was superior to you. As if the other person was worthy of respect. Of course you're superior. But he's talking about behaviorally act as if the other person... Al-Tarabi says, no, that's not, that's not the true meaning. Because it says, the Mishnah says, the wording of the Mishnah, Heve, Heve means you should be. You should actually be lower than the other person. That the other person is actually superior to you. Question is, how is that? What does that mean? How is that possible? Since all the mitzvot are commandments from the king, the king, and he uses the expression the holy king, a king is remote, removed from his his people. And there are two aspects of of a commandment that comes from a king. One is a king gives a commandment uh, because in order to run the country, there are things that have to get done, and therefore he gives a commandment and guides his people how to run the country. But then there is, as a king and a subject, the king gives a commandment, because he's the king and you're the subject, and you subjected yourself to the king, and therefore it's to fulfill the will of the king. So, for us, what's primary about the mitzvah is not so much the technical aspect of the mitzvah, the functional aspect of the mitzvah. Every mitzvah accomplishes something specific. But for us, what's far more important of the mitzvah is the fact that it's God's commandment. And God is our king. And we are his subjects. And as far as we're concerned, that's really all that matters. It doesn't matter what the commandment is. All the commandments in that sense are equal. If God would have commanded us to chop wood, we would have chopped wood with the same enthusiasm as we light a Shabbos candle, as we eat matzah and Pesach, as we put on tefillin, as we give a penny to tzedakah. There is no difference. It's, it's the commandment of the king. It's God's will. It's our opportunity to connect with Hashem. And that's the essence of the mitzvah. So the details don't matter. Yes, the details, there are details, and every mitzvah has its unique quality, and there's a difference between a positive commandment and a prohibition. But those are all details. The essence of the mitzvah is, the core of the mitzvah is, that this is the will of God, and this is how we connect with God. So therefore, it makes no difference whether God's wish is ex- expresses itself in a positive mitzvah or God's wish expresses itself in a prohibition. God says, don't violate this prohibition. Don't act. Don't do this. Or God's wish is, do this. Study Torah. Do mitzvah. And therefore, if I am capping out on the positive commandment, I'm studying Torah, but I'm not studying Torah properly, appropriately, to my level. I'm not really giving it all. I'm not really investing 100% of my being in the Torah. I'm not really pushing myself beyond my limit. I'm just coasting along. It's technical, it's mechanical, it's, it's easy, it's comfortable. I'm used to it already as a habit, it's enjoyable. I'm just doing it and I'll do as much as my uh, enjoyment dictates, as much as my habit dictates, not more. I'm not going to exert too much. I'm not going to exert myself too much for God. So here, in the negative mitzvah, God wants me to overcome my urge, my instinct. Because when is it considered that you fulfill a negative prohibition if a person is tempted? If a person is not tempted to steal, and you don't steal, you're not fulfilling a mitzvah. 
a thief <laughs> who doesn't have the opportunity to steal thinks he's honest. A mitzvah is when you have the opportunity and you have the desire. And only because God said so. God says, no, don't steal. Like the story when the Rebbe heard, that Rebbe heard the son standing with his, the axe over his father's head. He says, I'm so tempted to kill you. If God didn't command me, I shouldn't murder, I would have killed you right now. So he was tempted to murder, but because God said no, he restrained himself and he, and he stopped. That's how you fulfill the negative mitzvah. When you're tempted to sin, you have the ability to sin. When a person is too old, is too weak to sin, he doesn't sin, that's not, that's not fulfilling the mitzvah. The person has the means, the person has the energy, and the person has the ability. And only because God said, no, it's wrong, don't do it, and therefore a person restrains himself, that's how he fulfills the mitzvah. The same is true with the positive mitzvah, that God wants us to study Torah. And He wants us to overcome our urge, our instinct, our habit, even our positive habit, to go beyond our habit, to really throw ourselves into the studying of Torah, our whole mind, our whole soul, 100%. So if we're only studying with half a brain and we're just, you know, whatever is easy and convenient, we're not really pushing ourselves, we're not really making any demands of ourselves, so we're not doing God's will. So what difference does it make if we're not doing God's will in relationship to a negative commandment or we're not doing God's will in relationship to a positive commandment? The bottom line is I'm not doing God's will. So there is no difference. Yes, technically and mechanically there's a difference between a positive, a difference between a negative. When you do a negative, you create a scar. Here, okay, I didn't study Torah, but I didn't do any damage. I didn't harm anyone. I didn't destroy the world. I didn't study Torah. So yes, you're right. Technically, you're right. In this case, I did damage to my soul. I did damage to the world. I, I committed the sin. In this case, it was a sin of, of omission. So I didn't reach my potential. I didn't push myself. But that's all... The, tech, the technicality of the mitzvah. But when you get to the essence of the mitzvah, am I doing God's will? Am I doing God's will? Is my whole being an expression of what God wants? And therefore, if God wants it, then my life reflects God's will or not. And in this case, it's not. Because God wants me to exert myself and to really put my whole heart and soul into the mitzvah, into the Torah, and I'm not. So what difference does it make if I didn't do God's will in this case? If I didn't do God's will in that case, it's not. So therefore, the, the two of you are, are equal. The bum and the low life are you on the same level. You're feeling so high and mighty. <laughs> get, off, get off the horse, high horse, and relax. You're not so high and mighty. You're on the same, same level as, as this one. Who you look down at and you in disgust who repulses you. How dear, how could he? Really. Use those same words on yourself. Exact same words. The way you're describing others is exactly the way you should describe yourself. Because you're really describing yourself. Disgusting, repulsive, bum, low life, okay. Same thing. Disgusting, repulsive, because you're not doing what Hashem wants you. There's no heroic struggle. There's no real effort. There's no real movement. There's no real change. Just comfortable. And that's, that's enough to sober you up pretty quickly. <laughs> Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul 
taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky.